I wanted to prove to people that you can do both and you can succeed in both. It does not ever have to be one or the other. You're allowed to be feminine and you are allowed to be masculine. You are allowed to go into a workplace and completely slay it, whether you're next to a 50-year-old guy, 18-year-old guy, females, it doesn't matter. You can go into either place and prove your point and be there and be known and be successful. It doesn't matter if it's feminine-based or masculine-based. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Cheyenne Ruther is in the driver's seat today. Cheyenne came from humble beginnings growing up on an acreage outside a tiny town of Alberta, Canada. This once tomboy turned model, Shop owner and TV personality dives into the twists and turns of her career. She has used her career and work ethic to provide the best life possible for her daughter. Keep in mind, she has done all of this before the age of 30. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Ladies and gents, are you ready for a Femcanic Garage exclusive? Cheyenne and her daughter Violet sat down with me after the interview was originally recorded. She provides some exclusive content about her newest project. This bonus content will immediately follow the interview. Be sure to check it out. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Cheyenne Ruther and the little version of herself in the driver's seat today. Her name is Violet. So before I go in and pick your brain about your journey, Cheyenne, you were gracious enough to let your daughter join us on this interview so that we can see this mother-daughter duo that I so enjoy watching on Instagram. Oftentimes you see dad and daughter. Mm -hmm. It is very rare to see mother and daughter, which is so much fun. And she seems so interested in it, too. Yeah, we really enjoy it. We, uh, I mean, I bring her into the shop as often as I can, obviously. Through 2020, there's been a few more opportunities for that with all the lockdowns. We actually enjoyed being quarantined at the shop together. I so enjoyed watching the pictures and it just was so much fun. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Violet here. Violet, how old are you, honey? Do you care sharing with the, with the Femcanic community how old you are? I am six years old. And thank you so much for being on the Femcanic Garage podcast. You're 
going to be a huge inspiration to so many other little girls out there. I've had an opportunity to interview two other young girls. One was seven years old at the time, and the other one was eight years old. And one of them was from Hawaii, too, which is really cool. Her name is Victoria. So I have a question for you, Violet. Do you like working out in the garage with your mom? Yeah, I do, really. What's your favorite part? Um, I like, well, I like all of it, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I know you feel like you really want to do painting. But I always want to do painting, even though I can't. Not yet. What's the What's the rule mommy teaches you? You got to learn how to prep a car before you can learn how to paint it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So what do you think about what mom does? I think, well, she tells me what she do, do sometimes. Like, she would tell me if she was going to paint or not. Like that. Yeah. Um, but what I think is I'm, like, at home doing school and not with my mom. Sometimes I think she does, like, um, drive cars, like, to um, see if they work or, like, getting tools. Ooh, tools are fun, aren't they? They're like the adult version of a toy. Yeah. Well, what about the last shop that we worked on together? We worked on the Model A. Remember when you were at the shop doing the scotch writing and the sanding? Oh. Yeah, after work. That's the picture she's talking about that she's seen the last time you were at the shop with me. When school wasn't happening and you came and you helped me. Because there was no staff. Nobody was there. And for Christmas, I also got her tools. You did. <laughs> Ooh, that is outstanding. Have you ever shared with any of your friends at school what your mommy does? Oh, yeah. What do they say to you? They say it's actually pretty cool that you got, like, an awesome mom and stuff. What's that like for you, Violet? You think you have a pretty cool mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of other people who think she's pretty cool, too. You know, it's pretty special that you have a mom that gets to teach you those things. Mm -hmm. What do you want to be when you grow up? I actually want to be um, a car modeler. A car modeler? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Can you describe that to me? Um, it's like my mom, when she works on cars, she goes on TV. And I want to be like her when I grow up, too. Your mom's a pretty good role model. Do you have a favorite car, Violet? Um, I actually like pretty much all the cars in the whole world. <laughs> if you could only pick one, which one would you pick? Um, or a favorite color? I do have a favorite color. It's red. Red? Ooh, that's a pretty color on cars. And my mom likes the um the color green. Green. A dark green or a bright green? Um, pretty much every green, right? That's true. <laughs> every green. Yeah. If you could tell your mom one thing right now, what would you tell her? That I love her working on cars. She got stickers, too, of her working on cars. Stickers. That's really cool. I think it would be really cool, Violet, is when... 
mommy gets a break from all the builds she's doing right now and I can bring you back to the shop and we can work on mommy's 66 Impala again. Are you going to help me with that? Yep. Because I don't have any help for that. I think I should bring you in to help me. What do you think? Good. I think it's good. Are you going to help lots? Yeah. you bring tools? Mm-hmm. you going to sand lots? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to hammer and dolly? Mm-hmm. Are you going to spot weld? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's outstanding. I asked my mom, mom, or we can both like, we, I have a dirt bike. I raced on it before. And, um, we were going to like paint it too. This is my old one we were going to paint, but it got, but I already like ruined it at the race. <laughs> it's actually a practice. I think it was just for fun. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm curious to get your your thoughts on something, Violet. There's some people who think that it's weird or strange that girls work on cars. Mm-hmm. What would you tell those people? I would say anyone could work on cars. It just it's for fun too. From the mouth of babes. <laughs> <laughs> it really is that simple, isn't it? Anybody can do it, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Violet. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Is there anything else you would like to share with other little girls out there if they uh, like cars too? Well, I would say you can actually help your mom if your mom has works on cars too. That is great. They could probably help their dad, too, huh? Like, my dad also likes cars, just like my mom. Pretty much my whole family. It's in your blood, isn't it? (laughs) No doubt about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Violet, thank you so much for just being a ray of sunshine in my day today. You are free to go play, my little rock star, And I look forward to watching you grow up over the years and just become amazing at this uh, car thing that you seem to love at a very young age. Thank you. You're very welcome. Have fun playing. I'm going to ask your mommy a bunch of questions now. Okay. All right. Here you go. Make sure you close the door behind you, okay? Oh. There you go. You can go play. (laughs) Close the door. Thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to do that, Cheyenne. I appreciate it. No problem. Now she enjoys it. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, as as a mother, what is that like for you? I mean, as a mother, having a son that has shows interest in it, it's almost like society expects boys to be interested in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, society... It, it's just typical where you grow up and the boys are getting the trucks and the Tonka trucks and the toy cars and the Hot Wheels and the girls are getting Barbie dolls and kitchen play sets. And I'm fine with that. I'm 100% fine with it. But I mean, why not expose them to both? Why can't boys cook and girls be out renting in the garage? Why can't they be doing it together? And, yeah. you know, it's just a part of how I was raised. I was always around vehicles. I was always messing around with projects and tinkering and mechanics and auction sales. And I was you know, basically around it, immersed in it, interested in it, did a lot of, you know, demolition derbies and things like that growing up. It was just kind of in my blood and I was exposed to it early. But 
something that I've always wanted to involve my daughter in. And she's always been helping out in one way or another since she was about a year and a half old. She was out in the garage helping spin off lug nuts, do oil changes. Not that she remembers half of it, but I mean, we have the proof. So growing up, she's kind of flipping through, you know, little time hops or Facebook memories. Yeah. And she's like, is that me? And she's so shocked. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't even remember. You were in diapers half the time. You're out in the garage helping and you don't even remember this stuff. But I think as she gets older, she's learning to appreciate more of it and realize like, wow, this is going to be a skill that I have, you know, one day, whether it's just on her own vehicle or whether it's something that she wants to build up a passion for and she wants to chase, you know, her own dream in the field. That's totally up to her. But I want to definitely expose her to that. What is that like for you? being a mother and doing that with your daughter? Because like I said, it, it's it's more common seeing daughters with dads. It is yeah. very rare seeing daughters and moms. Like even talking about it gives me goosebumps. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. It's, it's pretty special. Like, I mean, with everything that's been going on this year, um, it's allowed me to spend a lot more time with her, bringing her into my world of what I do on the daily. Because a lot of times kids don't really understand like parents grab their bag and their lunch and their coffee and they're headed out for the day and they don't really realize like what is it that mom and dad do you know you know they hear about it and oh this is the job this is the title but they don't really realize it and it was once I began bringing her to the shop and showing her the builds I was working on going through photos um once she started seeing episodes of the tv show that I was on air it kind of like I just seen this light go off in her head and we were downstairs one day, like cooking lunch. She's like, Mom, you're on TV. And she freaks out and comes and grabs me. She's like, look, 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 you're working on a really cool car. And I'm like, I know, baby, I was trying to explain that to you. That's, that's <laughs> the car that I was working on for months and months. And that's why Mommy was so tired. And now now you can see it. You know, you can see the finished product and why Mommy's so proud and enjoys what she does. And she asks me a million questions about it. Um, but it's just, just a natural thing for me because I started when I was so young um, and she's been exposed to it at such a young age that it just kind of naturally geared her towards that spark of interest. Mm, I love it. it. It's so cool where we got to chat with your daughter. But what I want to do is just kind of take it back a little bit and I want to learn about the little Cheyenne. Like, what was that path that got you into it? I know that you said Hey, I did demolition derbies. I did a lot of these other things. So you've definitely been exposed to it. But what got you into it? What like sparked that fire and that curiosity? Was there was there that moment in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, this is really cool? It was basically the aesthetics of it overall. I mean, growing up, um, you know, we're pretty pretty humble roots. We grew up on an acreage out in the middle of nowhere in outside of a town called Bruderheim, Alberta. So it's, I mean, it's not even a town. It's a village. In Canada, right? In Canada. Yeah. And lots of people don't know that because they've seen kind of midway through my career and where I have taken it. Um, but yeah, I actually grew up in, in the sticks in the middle of a small town outside of Canada. Um, grew up on an acreage, um, farming, you know, gardening, doing all the fun stuff to keep food on the table. And basically, you know, it wasn't that I was necessarily always around cars. I mean, yeah, we had our vehicles and we had our equipment and things that we would constantly be working on. And it was an expectation that we all helped and that, you know, we did whatever we could to help each other as a family and learn and grow and, 
and assist to make us successful as possible. Now, how many siblings do you have, Shane? Yeah, I'm the youngest of four. So okay. there's four of us and are my two parents that are still on the same acreage that I was born and raised on. So they're out there chugging along. and Brothers, sisters? Are you the only yes, girl? Yes, I got two brothers and one sister. So I was the okay. youngest of the four of them. Um, my brother was the oldest. and He was the one that actually was a mechanic in high school growing up. Um, so he didn't bring too, too much of that home. But of course, he had his first car at 16 and he would always be you know, wrenching on it and doing this and doing that. My, my dad would help him in the garage. Um, and our fa- close family friends were into demolition derbies. So that was kind of our summer hobby sport that we would go and spectate. Was That's demolition way cool. I have to ask because acreage can mean different things to different people. So when you say acreage, like how many acres did you grow up on? It was actually 160 acres that we grew up on. And then our house and, and yard essentially itself was a five acre plot. And then it was basically forest and farmland. And we had rented out the farmland to uh, a neighbor of ours that would come and put crops and stuff on it every year. So we would hunt that land. Um, we would play. We would build forts out in the forest. We would do, you know, all kinds of stuff that kids do and basically was raised Outside, 24-7, it was just a different, a much, much different life than how kids are raised in, in these cities and stuff now. So, um, you know, For sure. I do pay homage to a lot of that, of how I was raised and the work ethic and stuff that I was taught growing up on an acreage and making that fully function as a family unit. Definitely taught a lot of these hard work, blood, sweat and skills that, that kind of go into making that a success. Um, but yeah, I was the youngest of four and my parents, you know, had high expectations of each and every single one of us to help provide and help garden and help farm and help fix things when they were broken and just make it all work. So I do owe them a lot for teaching me that kind of valuable work ethic. And it has obviously shown through a lot of my career and allowed me to move forward in a lot of aspects where a lot of people kind of throw the towel in and things get hard. Absolutely. Now, you and I were chatting a little bit before, and you referenced this moment where you were in your dad's, what you refer to as uh, the tool shed, Mm -hmm. in this calendar. Can you kind of walk me through that moment? Yeah. So I was about my daughter's age. I was Violet's age, about five or six years old. And and, of course, we're out pressure washing my brother's car and I'm trying to like wipe it down with a squeegee and he's freaking out because it's scratching all down the side of his car. But I'm just trying to help. I'm being a little sister trying to help him on his car. Right. And I remember going into the shed and my brother sent me in for some tool, like a screwdriver or something like that. And I go inside and I looked up and I seen this 67 GTO front end on this calendar that my dad had hanging up. And I was, I just like had this moment where I stopped and I stared at just the beauty of this car and it shining in the sun and how beautiful that photograph of this car sitting there was and the stance and the body lines. And I just had this moment of just like awe and admiration and being like, one day I am going to work on a car like that and I'm going to make it beautiful like that. And I'm going to drive a car like that. I'm going to own a car like that. I just got goosebumps, Cheyenne. Like that, the 67 (laughs) GTO is what I had when I was 19 and worked on. And by far, my favorite muscle car of all time. Uh, Yay! It is. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful car. And there's been so many of them. The 67 to 70 body style and that classic American muscle just like gives me tingles every time I see them. And I have worked on hundreds of them now in my career. And it's still just that feeling. It still connects me to being five, six years old and looking up at that calendar and being like, wow, that is what I want to get my hands on in any capacity. 
that's what I'm going to do. And it just never left my head. I don't know. It was just one of those things where I didn't go around telling everybody like, oh, I'm going to have this car when I grow up where I win the lottery or whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to work on cars and it's going to be that kind of car. And that's what I want to do when I grow up. And it just never stopped. And that's basically how my brain was geared, even though it wasn't pushed on me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even really one of those things where my dad's like, hey, I want you to work on cars. Hey, come out and do this. Hey, do that. It was, yeah, come out, help us, you know, do what you want to do. If you want to be a doctor, go be a doctor. If you want to, you know, help animals, go do that. If you want to do this, go do that. It was never one of those things that was forced on me or pressured or pushed. Um, but yeah, once I turned about 15 and I decided that was what I was going to do, they actually kind of laughed at me, which is the ironic part of all of it. I was going to ask how it was received. It was not received well, as most would think. Um, cause my dad, you know, grew up doing a lot of labor. He was, you know, public works and heavy equipment operator. And, you know, he's, he is a hardworking man. And, I have learned a lot learned a lot of my work ethics from him and my mother. I grew up with her working at a sand plant, working night shifts and doing physical labor and doing all kinds of stuff. Both of them were working full time to provide for our large family and, you know, make everything work. And when I decided to go ahead and, and do auto body, my dad kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And he's like, do you even realize what you're getting yourself into? Like, I have not worked this hard for so many years for you to go and choose a trade like that. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and I was kind of like, well, watch me, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in this trade and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to be successful in it. And that was the thing. It wasn't just about going into a shop and punching a clock and, and putting away some money. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, I'm going to learn this skill and I'm going to own it and I'm going to master it and I'm going to see where this is going to take me. And I mean, wow, looking at that point in time when I first walked my foot into that first door, that first shop and the conversations that were being had, you know, and then to now completely changed. My dad's like, oh, okay, you come work on my truck. Like, what are we going to do? Are you going to give me that 69 charger? <laughs> you know? He's kind of throwing around all the good stuff. And now he realizes, wow, this comes with a lot of perks, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. His tune has changed. He has definitely been supportive all the way along um, with my mom as well. She helped through the whole TV show process through many, many ups and downs in the trade as a, as a female because, you know, she worked in a male-dominated trade for a while herself mm-hmm. and then changed to school system. Um, so she knows, she understands as a woman in the field um, the things that you can go through. And, you know, I think that's probably a little bit of what my, made my dad nervous also, of me being such a young age, mm-hmm. um, 15 years old, starting in this shop and just, you know, I've worked with men my entire life. I've only worked with one other female in my entire career um, as a technician out on the floor. So that has brought in obviously a lot of um, interesting situations and, and obstacles along the way, but it's definitely made me a stronger female in this trade. So at 15 is when you really started diving into it and having those conversations. But that wasn't the only thing you started around that same time as well, correct? Yeah, no, that was uh, an interesting time frame. So when I was about in the sixth grade, I mean, through that time, I knew I wanted to work on cars and I was obviously gearing myself towards that. But um, I was dabbling in doing a little bit of like modeling just for fun because I was very self-conscious kid. You know, I mean, growing up, I was a little bit different than everyone else growing up on this acreage, super tomboy, like always just a very outdoorsy girl, kind of nerdy, dorky, awkward. (laughs) And um, I got into this little competition when I was in the sixth grade and ended up winning this modeling um, scholarship to go and do training, do um, photo shoots, you know, makeup artist portfolio, things like that, just to kind of get out there, get exposed and Uh, My mom supported it and she said, you know, something that you want to try out, go ahead and do it. 
And later on, about a year later, I signed with a modeling agency and I had begun um, professional training. And I started working gigs, events, um, doing high fashion runway because I had these crazy long dangly legs and a very skinny tall frame. And that was kind of what they were looking for. Um, As awkward as I was getting into the whole thing, it was just a career that I had begun at a very, very young age. Um, So once I transitioned into high school, I was actually modeling full time on the evenings and weekends and doing my training, doing events, doing runway, uh, makeup artist portfolio, photo shoots, print photo shoots, all the kinds of things like that. And then during the day, I was doing half of the days was my schoolwork. um, And then the other half was in the shop. So basically, I was working a full-time career. Whoa, whoa, whoa. pause. Yeah, pause. I'm I'm trying to put all that together. So this was, you were middle school. Yeah, between the ages of 13 and, and I would say between the ages of 13 and 21, um, I was juggling two major careers. And even though I was just starting as an apprentice at 15 years old um, in the body shop, it was actually a collision shop. And then they do some, Mm -hmm. a little bit of customs and restoration also, um, but majorly it was collision. Um, in that time when I had started was when I got my foot in the career of, of modeling. Um, so I had actually began modeling just right around the same time that I started working on cars. Um, modeling was never anything that I wanted to do or planned to do. It just kind of presented itself to me um, at an event that I was at one day and a scout came and kind of tracked me down and said, hey, you have this look and we really would like to, you know, how do you do this photo shoot and compete? And I kind of laughed off and took it as a joke. And how old were you then? I was about just about 14. I was pretty young. I, I think it's interesting in listening to you tell the story, Cheyenne, you refer to yourself as long legs and lanky and awkward. And Definitely. It, it, it fascinates me because, you know, if, if you put on a resume or someone reads that you're a model and, and not just like you did a lot. You did it for like seven years. Yeah, it was an early, early on thing for sure. That that's seven years is not a flash in the pan, right? That's not. I got I mean, one thing. It felt like it. <laughs> it felt like it. I look back at that time frame, and I think about how busy I am right now with being a mother and having my daughter and having this career and now managing a shop and staff and all these things. But I go back in time, and I have to remind myself, like. I think that drive at such a young age to keep myself busy and to succeed in in multiple careers at the same time is kind of what has given me the drive and the work ethic to make me succeed the way that I do now. Um, Because I think about it back then, I was, like I said, first half of the day, I was in high school doing my my classes and doing my correspondence, and I was in the registered apprenticeship program. So the last, last half of the day, I'd go to the shop, and then I'd work after hours, get the hours, and then evenings and weekends, I'd be doing training and doing shows and doing modeling events. Um, I used to do a little bit of extra background work in movies and TV. Um, and again, that was nothing that I was ever really after. It just kind of fell on my lap at that time. And I was getting very serious about potentially getting scouted to go work in different countries, um, overseas in China, um, in Vancouver, um, in LA. And my mom kind of had lit a fire under me like, okay, if this is something that you're interested in doing, you need to have honors, you need to succeed in school and make sure that your you know, education is first and foremost. And I kind of did that, but it was this gamble of like, okay, I only have time for one of these careers. And honestly, the passion was a lot more with the cars because I had so much to learn. Whereas I didn't really agree with the standards and the expectations of what the modeling industry brought at that age. Can you talk a little bit about that, Cheyenne? Because I I think there's these stereotypes around women in automotive, 
as much as a lot of it's getting debunked, but there's a lot of stereotypes. Can you share some of just for the women who may be approached by TV or... Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And for me specifically, now that I have gone through that, and when you go into a show and an opportunity, you think it's going to be one way. And when it gets into editing and, and the whole thing is presented in a you know a total another way or a format, you you know you can be taken aback. It can be a good thing or it can be a negative thing. And it's just how it's presented, how it's edited. And you have to be very careful uh, when you are offered opportunities like that, that it's really going to show an accurate representation of who you are, what type of work you do, what you stand for, and, you know, make sure that you're not being portrayed or put in this light that's basically a misrepresentation of who you are and what you want to be about. Um, And that's where I've been very, very careful because since the TV show that I did do, um, I've been pitched for seven different shows. Um, I shot a pilot for one of them. Uh, I have another one that's supposed to be filming in three weeks. Um, This one's not automotive related, but it is to do with builds and trades work. So I'm very, very specific about what opportunities I will entertain because I feel like TV a lot of times can do a disservice to professional women in the trades. Um, And I'm not seeing that's all across the board. They're doing a lot better with it, I find, as time goes by. Can we talk a little bit about that? I'll say it, but... My experience in watching TV, particularly around the automotive industry, and I know there's other industries as well where this is, and and even motorsports, to be honest. um, For sure. And it's gotten better. I want to acknowledge the fact that it's definitely gotten better. But there's still this women are props. Objectified, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Rather than taken seriously as professional subject matter experts. Yes. And that was probably what I had the biggest um, issue with walking into the industry because I had been around TV and extras and, you know, again, doing fabricated reality scripted TV, essentially. This was my first time doing reality TV in my mind. Uh, you know, being so young, I was under 25 at the time when I got hit with this TV show and they were like, okay, we love what you do. We've seen your career. We've seen your portfolio and all this work that you do on these shows or on these cars rather. And, you know, I thought this would be a great career launcher and a platform to go and show my expertise in this area. But unfortunately with a lot of scripted reality TV, whether it's scripted or non-scripted or guided in a sense, it's not accurate. Um, women are very sexualized. They are there to keep the male viewers entertained, quote unquote. Um, so the way things are edited and what you do in the span of the day may not be truly accurate. And it's more about, okay, there's you know eye candy in a shot or this is happening or that's happening. And you don't even really realize it until it gets to the final product and edited it in that, okay, it's being geared this way and this is never what I wanted or intended and this this wardrobe is not practical for me being a woman in the shop like I went from wearing big baggy coveralls where I was comfortable basically wearing pajamas to work every day grungy not doing my hair not doing my makeup just just going into work like I was one of the guys you know it wasn't about the fact that I was a female it was about me showing up for work and doing my job and when I got into the tv aspect it was like okay no you're gonna wear this this day this that day this this day um but it was just wasn't practical it was actually a hazard half the time where I'm looking at it like this is super flammable material if I'm welding or if I'm cutting and I'm grinding. okay that's what I was wondering yeah it just wasn't practical <laughs> we're I, I just gotta pause for a moment for sure I, I, I'm 
that was a lot of information and I'm processing this and my mind's painting this picture where it's like, okay, here's workwear, footwear, workwear that is practical and what is safe to use in an industry. And you were basically told in so many terms what to wear so that you could be eye candy for the male viewers. Yeah, essentially to to a standpoint of when I first began filming the show, it was kind of when I had that little red flag moment of, you know, not, not that anything was like overly sexual. It was just not practical. You know, it wasn't anything that was like, oh, my gosh, you shouldn't be wearing that in a shop full of men. Well, it's the very thing that discredits women exactly. in the industry. Where you're not taken seriously, right. you know. Right. And it, it, it does. It just does a huge disservice when you want to walk onto a job site or a set or whatever it may be as this female coming into a show or a workplace and just not being taken seriously because they're like, what are you wearing? And you have to explain and defend yourself. Like this is what, you know, production had in line for me. This is what they literally sent a wardrobe manager to go and purchase for me to be on the show. And, you know, I'm having to kind of be stuck in this middle position of, okay, they want me to do this. And I have my, my, you know, what I have to follow for production. And then I also need to be safe and practical on the work side of things. And if OSHA walks in here and I'm wearing this like crazy flammable shirt, that's going to get caught up in a grinder and I'm going to end up in some workplace accident because this is just not practical. You know, and I requested coveralls my first day and basically the day that I went to go and throw them on and wear them and get down and get dirty. It was like, these look too frumpy. You know, we need to change you to something different. And, you know, it's kind of one of those situations when you're young were you able to push back from a safety perspective or? I did. So there was a couple items of, you know, as time went on, they realized, okay, we see what's going on. This is definitely a danger, dangerous, hazardous um, place for women and men or anybody to be wearing that kind of clothing and get caught up um, in equipment, grinders, you know, shears, anything like that. So it was one of those things where I had to address it with production and say, hey, I know that you had set out, okay, these earrings and these pants and this top and this and this and that for every other day. I'm sorry. I'm throwing all of that out the window. I will take from the pool of what you have provided. And if it's like a B-roll story where we're going to go and we're going to go racing or we're going to go pick some parts, I will incorporate those more feminine clothing, you know, to still be, you know, feminine in a sense. But when I'm at the workshop, you know, I need to be wearing long sleeves or I need to be wearing the the work button up shirts that are non-flammable and right. all those things because this is a safety issue and it's just misrepresentation of women in the shop because yes. this is not what I've ever worn in a shop in the past for my years and years before that about seven eight years that I had been in the trade almost 10 at the time actually so I was about 25 I had never worn anything like that in the shop before um, so for me it was just like frumpy old coveralls and I get there's a standard for TV you want to set but I just got fed up with women being sexualized and used as an object in these serious automotive-based shows where you're being brought on not as a host, not as someone that's introducing these, you know, whether it's team members, people that are competing against each other. You're working shoulder to shoulder with these men as a professional in an industry where you are a skilled tradesperson. Yeah. And that's where I wanted to be taken seriously. You know, this is this is how it is in my shop back in Canada. Why should it be any different here? And I understand TV. There's a certain realm that you need to keep it with um, for viewership and that. But it shouldn't be based around, you know, being a female and what you're wearing. Now, let me ask a question, because th- that's TV. Now, you did a lot of like runway modeling and stuff. What What was the biggest difference that you found between those two experiences? 
Well, I mean, TV and runway modeling was a lot different. So, I mean, not very many people know that I'm like super introverted. Um, yes, I've been on TV. Yes, I used to do modeling, but I honestly did it because I was a very, very shy person. Um, very awkward unless you got to know me personally and opened me up, so to say. Um, I was very, very shielded and, and you know, contained in a sense. So modeling kind of gave me that opportunity to throw all those things that made me scared away and just get up on stage and go do something that was totally out of my comfort zone. And that was the same with TV. Not something that I really wanted to ever do. It wasn't something that I was chasing. It just kept presenting itself to me in my career for some reason. It just kept falling on my lap where whether it was it was a look, whether it was my background, like she's a multi-talented, you know, multifaceted person. And they would see me walk into this this backstage show where I'm literally getting peeling out of work clothes grungy and getting into a high fashion like a couture dress and going and doing runway and strapping on a set of heels literally (laughs) trading in my steel toe work boots and coveralls for a high heels and a dress in in a span of an hour changing in my little piece of crap car that I had when I was 16 years old and like trying to look presentable and wipe grease off my face not even having a full-on shower and literally going straight into runway mode Wait, I gotta, I gotta pause you a minute and give the <laughs> listeners an opportunity to absorb what you just said. And that, <laughs> that is just, in my opinion, the epitome of femininity. And that is the beauty of being a woman in yes. having the space to change in your car, try to wipe the grease off of your face before you go in and have a makeup artist do your makeup and (laughs) throw on a contour. Exactly. It was a real thing. (laughs) It was challenging to say the least. Did you ever like take pictures of like, okay, uh, 1 p.m., here I am, 3 p.m., here I am. Yeah, right around the time of like Facebook and all that was when I had just started, you know, 2009, right around graduating is kind of when I had it. So I was already well into the modeling things and and my career. I'd already moved to full-time painter from just like prepper, detailer, you know, and then gone into a full-time paint position at the shop that I was at. I had already pushed so far forward. So my work schedule was pretty serious at that time. And my commitments, I didn't want to give up what I was doing in entertainment and modeling. And my, I, I'll never forget it because I never wanted anybody in that trade to see me in the look of the other trade, if that makes sense. It was almost like living two different lives. Yes. <laughs> like it was like these two split personalities that I had and I had to switch gears and like change my entire mentality because the pool of people that you work with in this high fashion modeling world and then the pool of people I worked with at the shop were complete polar opposite. So it made me like just this, it just was such a weird, weird phase of my life. <laughs> Let me ask a question around that, Cheyenne, because I'm, I'm curious more than anything. Now, you had mentioned that y- you didn't want the the guys that you work with in the shop to, to see or know that side. Why is that? Yes, that was very, very serious. Um, because I didn't want to be approached um, in that way. I didn't want to be taken... I mean, not that I wouldn't be taken seriously. Uh, I just, you know, again, I didn't want to be running out of a bathroom in the little black dress, which I would show up for in auditions and things like that. I didn't want that image and that mentality in their heads. I wanted to be treated seriously and be respected. And unfortunately, with a woman in the trade, it's it's not always achieved as hard as you fight for it. Um, 
you know, whether you're super feminine or not, I just chose to keep work work and then keep the modeling and that side of my career completely separate. And I never wanted the two to collide. And in the few instances that it did happen, it was just like mind blowing for the people that witnessed it. (laughs) I want to visit that in just one moment, but I, I want to emphasize something that you that you're you're saying here. That is the very real problem and challenge that women have in the industry. That we oftentimes feel like we have to sacrifice our femininity to be taken seriously in the trades. Yes, and you, you should, should not, not have, have to. to ever do that. You should be able to embrace both and never be judged any less it, whether you are embrace the more male side of it and you're in the, the frumpy coveralls, if you're comfortable in that, be comfortable in that. And don't be, you know, called names or them assuming things about you and your sexuality. That's yeah. not okay. There's no reason yep. for that. And if you want to be feminine, if you want to wear comfy Carhartt yoga pants and, and you know, have your form not need to be hidden and, you know, not that you're sitting there sexualizing yourself, but just be comfortable in being a woman or wear pink or, you know, put your hair up, have a little makeup on and not be judged like, oh, she's got something to prove. She's or, trying oh, to she's get attention. Flirt or, or this or get attention or, you know, so I was just so young and it was very unfamiliar at that time for women to be working in trades. And I, I come from a place that Um, we're very blue collar, like in Alberta, that's a very blue collar province. Um, So it was a lot more common for women to be working on, you know, rigs and pipelines and shops. Um, But still in that time, I had only worked with one other female at that time. And, And still now, even more so now that I'm in Las Vegas, where women typically choose a much, much different career path, um, for a lot of different reasons, I seem to be even more now even more of a unicorn in this Mm -hmm. city being a woman in a trade and now, you know, having my own shop, training men under me, having multiple apprentices and being, you know, at the top of this shop and having all these men work under me. It's very, very odd. And people are even more so blown away by it now than me back when I was 15 to to 18 working in Canada, um, where it was a lot more common for women to be in the trades. But I, I walked very lightly around, you know, all those things. I want to back up just a little bit and revisit the the moment that your two worlds collided. <laughs> was that in Ca- yeah. was that in Canada then when that happened? Yes, this was in Canada. So um, I was in a shop and I had no time. I, I needed to get a paint job done. And as you know, as you start painting, you can't walk away from it. There's there's no there's no stopping until the clear coat is laid and you're you know hitting the bake cycle button on the booth and you're walking out, clean your gun, and you got to go. But I had to be on time for a show starting. And that time I was booked for three different designers in one night. Normally as a model, you book one designer one night. That's the only show you do. I was quadruple booked. So I had no choice other than to get into show blacks, which is a black dress um, and heels and immediately take the hour drive into Edmonton where I was doing this event. And I tried to grab my clothes, grab my bag and run into the the dirty shop bathroom that all the guys use and quickly change and clean myself up and like was like Batman, like a flash of lightning trying to run across that shop and not be seen by anyone. Cause I just, again, I wanted to be taken seriously. I didn't want them to be like, Oh, where are you headed? And just get 99 questions as I'm running out the door. I know I'll never forget the look on my boss's face. Like he was completely taken aback and you know, what, like, where were you last night? What were you doing? And just like all these assumptions being made and him not really realizing like I'm in this 
other field and trade and I take it just as seriously and want to be taken seriously on both sides of it. But likewise, when I showed up for auditions and I was still in work clothes and having to, having to change my work boots, these girls would look at me like I was disgusting. <laughs> wow. Like there are very prissy girls, like, you know, very, very high maintenance. And I could never relate with that. I wanted to succeed in both careers and be taken seriously in both careers. Um, it was perceived very differently on either side of it for good and bad reasons. Um, but I could not really relate with anybody on either side of it. Cause when I was in the trades, you know, I wanted to still be feminine and I couldn't relate with anybody cause I worked with all men. And when I was in, with these females, I was still very tomboyish and I couldn't really relate with them cause they were like overly feminine. And, you know, I had to try to kind of force myself into these roles. How did you remedy that? Like, what did you end up finding that worked for you where you felt a sense of belonging? Honestly, I never truly felt like I belonged in the entertainment and modeling industry. I really never did. I just, it was a platform that I was given that was thrown onto my lap. And I just wanted to prove people wrong more than anything. I wanted to prove to people that you can do both and you can succeed in both. It does not ever have to be one or the other. You're allowed to be feminine and you are allowed to be masculine. You are allowed to go into a workplace or a job site and completely slay it whether you're next to a 50-year-old guy, 18-year-old guy, females, it doesn't matter. You can go into either place and absolutely destroy your competition and prove your point and be there and be known and be successful and have work ethic and show the drive. It doesn't matter if it's feminine-based or masculine-based. And I just didn't want to ever give either of those up. I love that, Cheyenne. So was it the uh, TV offer that brought you from Canada to the United States? Yes. So my, my daughter and I were living in a place in Edmonton. So I was living out in the countryside for a while when I had her. And I was a stay-at-home mom for about two years, first two years of her life. And I was pulling side jobs out of the garage. Um, and at that time, before then, I was working full-time doing collision. And then I had switched to being an independent contractor and doing full customs um, on my own. And then I got pregnant with my daughter and was a stay-at-home mom for nearly two years. But like I said, in that time frame, I took the baby monitor out of the garage. I was flipping cars. I was doing whatever I could to have some extra income because maternity was only about a year in Canada uh, for maternity leave. Um, and even in that time, when I found out I was pregnant, I switched from painting to parts management. I remember trying to hide my belly you know, so that I could get my maternity leave hours at the shop. And still to the day, till still to this day, a couple of those coworkers reached out to me and were laughing. They're like, I remember you trying to hide that belly for like the first five months in the workplace. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, that was really tough, but I had to get those hours so I could spend that time at home with my daughter that I really, truly wanted um, as a mother. And out of all the things that I could ever do in my career or in my personal life, being a mom was at the top of the list didn't matter how far I got in modeling, how far I got in acting, how far I got in, into the cars. I knew I always wanted to be a mother. Um, when I was presented with possible medical complications, I decided to start that journey earlier than later and basically put all the career stuff off to the side. Are you at liberty to share? Yeah. When you say medical complications. Like um, yeah, I was diagnosed with uh, polycystic ovary syndrome um, at a younger age. And they just said, you know, be aware of it. It's nothing that's like crazy... I've never top. even heard of that. What is um, that. It's basically where you have cysts growing on your ovaries and it can prevent you from releasing eggs and um, just make complications for pregnancy and make it more difficult to have and conceive children, especially at an older age. And out of all the things and 
that I aspired to be. Being a mother was always one of them. I always knew very, very young age that I wanted to be a mom. So you were told that in like your 20s? Um, right before, actually before I had turned 20, I think it was when they had noticed, um, I went in for an ultrasound cause I was having some pain in my, like right, right around my hip bone area. And it was yeah. because I had a, a cyst the size of a golf ball or like oh, a tennis wow. ball or whatever. It was huge. And it ended up bursting and rupturing and causing a ton of pain. And that's when they had told me. Um, and at the time, um, I went to trade school, you know, I got my journeyman certification and I had met the father of my daughter when we were in trade school, when we were eight, both 18 years old, taking our first year of auto body technician courses. <clears throat> and basically at that time we had made a decision like, Hey, you know, I presented now with this medical issue. I know that I want to be a mom. He had proposed to me. We were engaged for five years. Um, so we had basically decided to go ahead with this journey and we tried for a year to conceive her and finally were able to. Um, so that was difficult again, because I was kind of in the peak of my career of modeling and getting into the cars and got my journeyman red steel certification. So really I was like, had all these opportunities coming my way, but it didn't matter to me. So your daughter was born at, how old were you when your daughter was born? I was pregnant when I was 21 and had her when I was 22. So it was 2014 when she was born. Um, And I had accomplished a lot in my careers at that point. So I was content with what I had done thus far and being able to just take some time off and breathe and slow my roll and be home with her was Mm -hmm. the most important thing to me. And most people looked at me like I was crazy, like, you're so young. Why would you throw that away? I was comfortable with where I was at. Did you do modeling after you had her? Uh, I did. So it took me a while to be comfortable with my body um, and get back into it. But I did do some modeling shortly, about a year after I had her. What was that process like for you? What I mean by that is it's one thing to have a child and privately get comfortable with your body again. But Mm -hmm. to go out and, and were you doing runway modeling again? At that time, no, because I had kind of a bit of an epiphany with the whole runway portion, like the high fashion modeling, where I no longer agreed with their standards and their ethics and their codes. You know, and this was before getting pregnant, before just as I became an adult and I hit, you know, 18, 19, 20, I kind of came to a lot of realizations of like what a normal you know, healthy lifestyle was. And the way that these girls, which again, is a reason why I couldn't relate to them. Like I love food. You know, I love food growing up. I I would never be a dieter. Like I don't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love my food and I was never going to sacrifice that. Sure. Be more healthy. Yes. I would be paying more attention to what I was eating, but they wanted me to do these international, you know, scouting competitions, go into China where you had to have a 25 inch waist. And if you were 25 and a half and over, they would cut you from this competition. And these girls were starving themselves. And, you know, I got offered this, this opportunity to go live in a model's apartment. And I kept hearing these horror stories where girls would literally be drugging each other to get the other girl's gig so that she was sick and she wasn't able to attend. There was girls fighting anorexic bulimia and all these things. And it just, I'm like, I do not want to put myself around that. I do not want to stress myself over inches on my waist. I want to live my life. I want to be a mom. I don't like, it wasn't, it was no longer important to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women now looking back, you know, now they're, now they're having children. They're on their second, their third. A lot of these girls that I was very, very heavy in the industry with that were my competition. Um, you know, I think that they finally had those epiphany moments. So it just came a lot later. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately it did do a lot of damage to these girls. 
um, looking yeah. back and getting involved with the wrong people or the wrong things and, and being so wrapped up in the body image. Beliefs. Yeah. And it was just very toxic to me. And that's when I had decided to kind of remove myself and make it more of a hobby and to do it when I felt like I wanted to do it. I got into the music side of things for about three year period. Um, so I was managing and doing music. And then I began training models for events, doing showcases, doing fundraisers. What kind of music show you? Um, it was more of like the hip hop realm, hip hop rap. I went overseas, um, did a tour there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pause. Yeah, there's <laughs> hold up, girl. Sorry, it's so hard. <laughs> so hard hold to up. navigate through all these years. <laughs> hold up. You gotta talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I know. It's so I, I went through and, and read your information and quite honestly, it's you have done a lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I keep hearing that. And it's literally just one line. You just in passing you mention that uh, you were working with record labels internationally. Yeah. Hip-hop and hey, R&B? Wait. Like, did you sing? What did you do? No, um, no, no, I'm not a singer. I sing in my shower, in my bathroom, at the shop, low-key. No, I'm not a singer at all. Um, as much as I would want to aspire to be some sort of talented musician, that's just not my thing. I'm, I'll smash metal and spray panels, and that's where I feel most comfortable. <laughs> but no, I was managing talent. Um so whether it was artist showcases, whether it was, I, I did model in music videos and things like that, or when I was younger. Um, and actually it's funny cause it's just blew up. One of the guys that the first person that I ever ended up being in a music video for, he's just went viral and completely blew up in LA. Um, and he's been doing a lot of a little bit more political stuff, which is probably the reason why he's gone viral and blown up. But I think back 12 years to what he was rapping about to, you know, moving forward 12 years forward. And he has gotten this massive platform where people are following him about, you know, political things, um, the virus stuff, and he's a pretty well-known person. So I'm just thinking about like how much the trade in the industry has changed in that amount of time and where people have gone in those aspects. So I went from modeling and I switched into the music realm. When I was switched into the music realm, I began training models with my experience because I had gone through all that training and basically would hire them for fundraisers for car shows that I would host, um, fundraisers like Fast Cars for Cancer, uh, Stollery Children's would be a hospital that we would raise money for and basically would go out and host these car shows. When you say hire them, Cheyenne, like hire them to do what exactly? To do everything. So it would be artist showcases where um, we would have this hip hop recording rap artists come and do um, shows at clubs and things like that, where they would go and sing and perform and rap. And it would have, we would have set after set after set and they'd perform and it would be for a charitable cause. And then I would train the models to kind of incorporate choreography within their routines and their acts. Um, so we would collaborate and work with clothing design companies that were local to promote small businesses. So it would be their clothing lines and we'd have them Got showcase it. at all these events. So the rappers would be on stage rapping. The models would have a choreographed thing where they're kind of going around um, and modeling clothing, you know, dresses, things like that. Um, and it was all just all incorporated to get the talent out there, um, get them comfortable, get them trained, do car shows, do events. So as much as I didn't want to be one of those girls standing in front of a car at a car show, um, I was hiring girls for that, not in swimsuits. I mean, it was up to them what they wanted to choose to wear, but photographers would come and they would have photos for their portfolios. And then sometimes they would do like the cheesy bikini competitions and stuff. And I remember one day a model didn't show up and said that she couldn't perform or come and do this stuff. So I had to step in for her. And that was probably my biggest cringe moment in my entire career because it was like everything I... <laughs> 
did not stand for. I'm like, I am not going to stand in swimwear in front of this car. This is so cheesy. (laughs) And I just ranted and raved about it. But I'm like, you know what? Honestly, in the big realm of things, I look back at those photos and how far I've come and just how my mentality has changed, how being a mother has changed me, how all these different crazy steps in my career and how other people have been formed by you know, women in trades, women in certain roles, women in movements. And it's been like a huge, huge eye opener, Um, you know, even moving from Canada to here and how roles of women in workplaces are just so much different. Um, It kind of gives me a pretty well-rounded aspect of like the industry as a whole and how we are actually on the upward. Um, There's still very, very, very many difficult things that, that are presented to me, especially being in a boss position, but it's been one of those things. There's two things that I want to explore a little bit. The first one is your experience being a female with men reporting up to you. And the second thing I want to explore after that is being a mother in this industry. First, what is that experience like for you? What has that been like having multiple men report up through you? So it's a fairly new venture. I mean, when I was young, I was training younger in around the same age bracket as I was. I was training other apprentices. Once I got my journeyman certification, I was giving them hours and blue books and training them on job sites. And I was so young, um, and of course, super feminine at the time with the industries that I was involved in. And it, it wasn't taken great. I had to be very, very filtered in how I would approach these men how I would give them directions, how I would coach them to ensure that the message was getting across, the expectations were there, and that it, that you know me using a feminine tone or a light tone wasn't going to be misread. So it was very much like walking on eggshells a lot of the time. And then now moving forward. I'm going to pause right there for a second. I find that interesting. Not interesting like that surprises me. Interesting in the sense that I've, I've heard in multiple situations where one of the reasons why men don't like bringing women into the shop is because they don't want to feel like they're walking on eggshells or that they're going to offend the woman or that it's going Mm -hmm. to turn into a sexual harassment case. And oftentimes, people don't think that we also feel like we have to walk on eggshells. And even beyond that, and on top of that, we feel like we have to be 100% correct in the methods that we're doing, the work that we're doing, because we often feel or just factually constantly being questioned. 100%. Because it's one of those things where you don't want to take away or make them feel like you're taking away from their masculinity and their ability and their work ethic and everything that they can do. Because I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of men out there that do not like taking direction from women. They do not like having to report to women. Um, In my last three years here in Vegas, I have had men ranging from younger than myself, you know, um, early 20s to 63 years old right now. I have a 22-year-old and a 63-year-old male working for me. And, you know, they know my position. They know that everything that happens in the shop goes through me. If I need to bring it up to um, the manager that's over on the fabrication side of things and there's you know, parts that need to be done or, or if I need to do any hiring and firing, like it's, it's all done through me. I I grab my support every once in a while if I need it, 
but ultimately they're reporting to me. So I guess there's been certain levels of threat and that's why it's so important to find people, you know, that are willing to work with you on that level. What do you mean by levels of threat? Um, so whether it's a threat to, okay. So again, when you're coming into a shop and you're working side by side, that's one thing. But when you're giving out management and duties and tasks, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say a threat because I'm in the position that I'm in now. Um, but men tend to feel a certain type of way when, I mean, you're 63 years old, you've been in the trade for dang near 50 years and you have a 29 year old female coming in and giving you direction and telling you what to do or correcting something that's a quality issue or, you know, whatever it may be, you, you know, you tend to feel a little bit of a threat there. Like, not like, Oh, this person's going to come and take my position, but it's just like, okay, this woman that is like defensiveness. Yes. Like literally half of my age, Mm-hmm. You know, who who are you to come and tell me what to do or what I'm doing is wrong? You know, what I'm doing is right or wrong. Like I've been in this trade longer than you've been alive, you know, so it's one of those things. And so you do have to tread lightly on it. However, when my name and my business and my quality and, and everything that I've built up in my individual career to get to where I am is on the line and my image and my likeness is all over these jobs, I do have to maintain that quality control. And I do have to make sure that every step of the way that I'm checking in and making sure hours are accounted for and making sure things are progressing the way that they should be and people aren't messing around and goofing off. And, you know, I do do get into that role of things where I know sometimes when I walk out, it's like, oh, you know, she's a slave driver or whatever, but this is what keeps the world rolling. This is what keeps the ball going and getting all these customers and these high-end amazing amazing builds where I'm getting creative control and I'm allowing to grow my team further. It's, it's only benefiting everybody as a whole. Um, but it does get to those situations every time, you know, when I was younger, if I had to give direction to a man that was around the same age as me or slightly older, it was kind of like, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, you're their assumption being, Oh, you probably know less than me, or I can lift more than you, or I can do more than you can in this trade. But that doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean that the skill set isn't there. Or the attention to detail isn't there. Women right. bring a lot to the table in these traits. You know, some men do realize it. Some men do not. Um, I've fired quite a few men for not realizing that, or they have that epiphany and it's a little too late. Um, but it's not necessarily being a female or male situation. It's more just work ethic. And a lot of men are taken back by the drive and the determination that I have. And again, not sitting here trying to toot my own horn, but it's just been a situation over and over again at shops where I'm running circles around certain individuals and they feel that type of threat like, oh, this girl's coming in hot and she's like making us look bad or we can't goof off and do this and that because she's always got her head down and she's always working. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, those conversations have literally come up to the forefront to my face. So I know that it's been a thing in other shops. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just difficult to navigate that sometimes because it's like you do have to walk on eggshells because you don't want to bruise their masculinity and you don't want to. Why is that ours to own? I have no idea. Why do we why as women do we take that on? I, I don't know why we care so much because it's like I think it's just natural for women to just care about like every aspect of what's going on around you. That's not, ladies, that is not our no, work. No, and it should never be. We, ha- we have to stop taking on the work right? of everyone else around us. They have to own their own shit. Well, and we got shit to do, too. Like, women 
of course, lots of times are head of household in a lot of situations. So it's like your work does not end when you clock out at the end of the day and you send your staff no. on their way. You have to go home. You have to prepare lunches. You have to help out with dinner, do dishes, get your, you know, spend that time with your child. And it, I often feel like it's just never enough what I'm doing. You know, it's never enough at home because I yes. put so much oh. work and drive and ethic into what I do at the shop. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm lagging in this at home or, there's the laundry is piling up right now and I only get to it like two, three times a week. And it's, just, you know, there's just so many silly, like minuscule things mm-hmm. that just overwhelm you when the stuff that you're doing on the daily is like climbing freaking Mount Everest. So people are like, you know, again, they're applauding you for like all these moves that you're making. And then at home, you just feel so just completely overwhelmed with the simplest tasks, but you're like making things happen. And, you know, your children see that and they look up to you and they're proud of you and your family sitting there cheering you on and rooting you on. And it is an amazing feeling, but you can't forget, you know, to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, yes. to, to, to thank them, to spend that time, to put your workload away. And that's easier said than done. Oh, 100%. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I've seen the question asked. I've asked the question to my guests, like, how do you do it? What do you do? And oftentimes, I feel like women, we miss an opportunity to let other women know that we're not doing it all by ourselves. At, At different points in our life, we were helped. And I'm not speaking for you, Cheyenne. This is really me speaking for myself. Everybody's individual in these journeys, you know. And we have help, right? Of course. I would not have been able to get to where I am without support of family, without support of my boyfriend currently, without support of, you know, people along the way cheering me on just like mentally to be able to get through all these massive hurdles, both in my career and my home life. Because, I mean, let's be honest, we're only dabbling in one small section of of the life and journey as everybody battles with things at home, yes. battles with relationships, battles with, with, you know, dividing your time equally amongst partners, amongst work, amongst your children, and making sure that you feel like you're doing enough. And there is a lot of weight on women who are very, very serious and driven in the workforce, who also are single mothers or whether they, you know, have relationships or not at home. Like I was a single mom for a a long portion of time when I was doing all this work. And I was like, is this the right choice? Should I just give up my career and be home with my daughter? Did you have any guilt? Oh, all the time. Or feel like you had to choose between a career and being a mother? Constantly. It's still to this day. How do you deal with that? What is the process you go through to help you and it never really goes away. No. The, The mother guilt is Wow. The mother guilt is never, never ending. It's always you're questioning, did I do enough? Did I give enough of what's left of my energy at the end of the day to my child to make sure that they feel that they're they're loved and they're the number one priority? And little do they know the reason why you push so hard in your job and your career and why you're so burnt out at the end of the day is to provide for them. And for me, I mean, honestly, for a long time, I was on autopilot in survival mode. Um, I did not have anybody supporting me other than, you know, my parents, my family of just like backing me up and if crap hit the fan and I needed childcare for a little bit. I could drive the hour out and drop her off for a couple of days and get something done. Um, but I, mean, I was living on my own. I was a single mom. I had no child support. I had nothing like that coming in. So it was up to me and me and myself solely to make sure that I was making ends meet, providing for my daughter, building myself up in my career so I could get to a place where I could step back and take more time to breathe and spend more time with her and be more selective 
about where I was using my energy most. And, you know, I got into a very comfortable situation where it was like, okay, I can now, now as an independent contractor, I'm not strapped to a eight to five work week at a collision shop where it's just constant deadlines and stress. You know, I, I switched phases and I went from collision and I went and began to make my own business and my own journey. And I decided, you know, I'm going to make the rules and I'm going to do what makes me happy. And I'm going to work on the cars that I want to work on. And I'm going to have creative control over certain builds once it gets to that point where I'm building my business and my brand. And I became a lot more content with it. And it was still came with struggles. You know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Things would go wrong or I'd be jumping from a motor building shop to a collision shop to a custom shop to somebody's garage in their warehouse and be just juggling all these different things. And then by the end of the weekend, I was just so exhausted that all I could do is just sit back and watch Disney movies with my daughter. And even though she was absolutely thrilled with it and loved it, I just felt like I was not doing enough. So that was where it became a priority where I'm like, okay, I'm really going to schedule myself accordingly so that I can have that happiness and that peace of mind of, you know what, if I want to take two days off this week and spend that time with her, then I'm going to do it. Or if I take this TV show opportunity and I'm working three weeks hard as I possibly humanly can, and then coming back and I'm spending that entire three weeks with my daughter. It came with a huge amount of guilt when I took that opportunity, but I was at a mm -hmm. crossroads in my life where if I didn't make a serious career move, you know, it was just going to be barely making ends meet. So I mm -hmm. chose to take that sacrifice and it was very difficult for me because, you know, you know, around two years old, your children are like, they're learning and they're growing, doing so much. And I felt like so much changed in a three week period when my mom and my dad were watching her. And for me, it was like, I'd rather have her home with family. Who, who she knows, then take her to Vegas and having her fly back and forth and being watched by a complete stranger while I'm working these ludicrous hours on set filming. And then, you know, when she sees me, I'm going to be burnt out or sleeping anyway. So that's not going to be fun for her. So I made that sacrifice in a very short amount of time in order to provide for her and basically build this career that has given us the life that we truly want. So you do have to make those sacrifices and realize that there is an end goal and there is an end you know, picture life that you're trying to attain and you can't feel that guilt, even though it's going to be very difficult and it never ends. I mean, it's constant. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It I think the biggest thing we could probably tell mothers, and you tell me if you disagree with me, Cheyenne, is give yourself grace. For sure. It's hard. There's, there's no right way of doing this. And majority of the time you're going to feel like you're failing. Of course. Just, just know it, it's okay. You are doing a great job. You are doing the best you absolutely can. Yeah. And people don't, don't realize that women are very, very hard on themselves. And, you know, it's just like you go through this roster of things in your head as a mother where you're like, you know, what do I need to do? Should I be taking X amount of time off work? What kind of you know, compromise is going to have to happen. And, and what are the, the, the shop owners or the building managers and all these things going to think if you don't keep up with all the angst and the steam and everything that you've created in your career to be a mother, you have to have that balance. And luckily now I have such a great team that I work with that they're very understanding. If something really were to hit the fan, <laughs> you know, I could take that time and step back and focus on family or if there was health issues happening and I needed to fly back to Canada, I can go and do that. And that's why I'm very selective about who I work with and that they are very respectable of women in the trade and respect the fact that you are a mother and running a business and building them up and creating basically a platform and a career for them that's only going to go up. So, you know, again, as much as it is hard to be a female in the trade 
and it's hard to dominate once you get to a point where you are leading a pack, so to say, set that example, you know, show them what you're capable of, show them that respect is earned, not given and, and give them that platform to be like, okay, I can succeed in this, whether I'm a male, whether I'm a female, and I can do it right along with you. And it's not a threat. It's not a threat to masculinity. It's not a threat to femininity. It's not a threat to motherhood. It's not a, a threat to any of that. Like we can all do this together. I love that. That is so key, Cheyenne. And, and there's a couple things that I picked up from what you what you're saying here. And I know you use the word balance, but when I listen to your story, I feel like we have to accept the fact that sometimes we're going to be out of balance in order to gain more freedom and balance in the future. Sometimes you're going to have to be unbalanced. It's so crucial. People don't realize you have to go through those crazy, rocky, horrible parts of your life in order to see like what still water looks like and know how to gain that in your life. And honestly, even though we're in the middle of like all the craziness of 2020 and 2021 and all the uncertainties, believe it or not, through that time frame of the quarantines and all the lockdowns, that's the happiest I've ever been in my personal and career life, like overall. And people think I'm crazy when I say that, but like being able to bring my daughter to the shop and work with her and lock all the doors and not have to deal with general public and just focus on the builds and hyper focus on like my goals and, and getting her into racing and, and showing her around the shop and the tools. And like, now that she's finally absorbing material and, and things that I'm teaching her, you know, and she jumps on Skype calls with her dad and he goes through the toolbox and teaches her all the little different things. And it's, it, it's been honestly such a blessing in disguise. And I know it's very, very difficult for a lot of people. And I do not take, any of the things that they're going through away because there's a lot of unemployment and a lot of people that are facing severe hardships right now. Um, luckily I was in a trade that allowed me to keep working and I actually got busier through that time frame um, than, than slowed down. So it kind of just allowed me to hyper-focus on my career, my goals, what was important, my family, um, spent a lot more time with her at home and during the weekdays when she had off days of school, I'd just bring her to the shop with me. And the guys that I work with, you know, love that. They love seeing that. They all actually, about three or four of them now have young babies at home. So they want that for their children. So really like it's gone from like, you know, cutthroat competition to where this, this growth and this mentality has gone in my shop to being like, okay, we're like legit a big old family and we're going to incorporate our kids as they grow. And we're going to do everything as we can as a team. And it is no more male and female and this person versus that person it's literally just like we're a tribe you know what I mean yes. we're our own little family and we're going to bring everybody into it and we're going to be rooting each other and just pushing each other up as far as we can go every step of the way and I'm super thankful for that because where I began in a career and how threatened you know and and how many situations serious situations I was put in being young not knowing how to handle um harassment, things like that to where I am now in such a, such a respectable position of, you know, being able to be that person and and be training individuals under me and have the respect there. And it's not a threat is that's honestly what you aim for as a woman in the trade. Absolutely. Now you are launching a new company name this year. Yes. Are you at Liberty to Share? 
For sure. So um, a year ago, when when the, the whole craziness started with the with the pandemic, um, we had gotten into a building. So basically, when I started with Nefarious Customs Off Road here in Las Vegas, um, they didn't have anybody to spearhead paint and body operations. I came in here myself. It was just me. Um, they seen what I was capable of in a very short amount of time, and then basically, since then, the business has grown ten, twenty fold. Um, so, so much to a space where we decided, okay, the shop opened up next door. Let's just make that solely paint and body operations. And then the original shop where the bait booth is, is going to be all off-road and fabrication. So I've been kind of working in silence there and building my team up and kicking jobs in and out as fast as possible and building up that rapport. And now I've finally decided to launch it and separate it from nefarious customs and it's kind of its own entity um so that is called ruthless creations kind of a little spin-off of my my last name so it's an r-u-e instead of an r-u <laughs> so we agreed that would be a great idea and basically been building up a team and people underneath of me so that we can continue everything that we've been doing through all the lockdowns and give it its own name and face um, and it's just been, yeah, it's been an amazing journey to be given that platform and that space to completely spearhead all of those operations myself and to include some more people in and now kind of have my own little piece of the pie in Las Vegas. Wow. What a ride, Cheyenne. What a ride. I think this is probably a great time to launch into the red line round, which I think will provide some uh, great insight to the listeners so what the red line round is, it's five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. Okay. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Honestly, my daughter has been one of the most inspiring factors for me. Just the drive, the sheer drive. There's not one individual in the automotive journey that I've been like, this is the career I want. This is the person I want to chase after. It's, I'm not mirroring anybody. I'm just trying to provide the best life that I can for both of us. It's beautiful. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? I like to pick brains of people that have been in the trade forever because often I find, um, you know, I, I'm not really a YouTube person as much as there's so much of a plethora of knowledge there. I probably should be tapping into that because there's a lot of YouTube mechanics and technicians out there. I just, um, I don't utilize that. I actually like to kind of pull older people from the trade that have like a special tool or a trick or a trade or something that I haven't thought of. Um, lots of times I'm repurposing tools or finding out ways of doing things through just old knowledge, just communal efforts. Whoever's around me, I'll grab an ear and we'll, we'll make it work. I love the concept of like going to our elders and really yeah. kind of dipping back into that knowledge. I love it. Oh, well, yeah, it's just, it's great. And again, we're having people in their late fifties and sixties working under me, you know, that, that creates that level of respect and trust and freedom to talk and, and be accepted because I don't care how you get to a final product. As long as, you know, the quality is there. I don't care if you take a method from 1930 versus a 2020 method, as long as we get to the same end product, I'm all ears and I'm all for using different methods or older, older methods, um, and, and collaborating all that together to get, as long as the product's there, I'm, I'm happy with it. So, I mean, that's kind of what bridges the gap between the older generation and the newer generation. And you have to have that, you have to have that common respect and be open to doing things a different way or different than you have been taught. Absolutely. 
Cheyenne, what excites you most about what you do? <laughs> Honestly, what excites me most about what I'm doing is the look on people's faces when they come and pick up their vehicles. Um, it's the constant challenges. There's just the never ending challenges that I kind of like that as much as people say that they hate being challenged constantly. It's like a daily thing. And I love deadlines. I love when I'm given something that's going to stop me because I just find a way to plow it over (laughs) and just come in like a complete wrecking ball and just destroy whatever there is standing in my way to get to where I want to be and what I want to achieve. Cue Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no. (laughs) I might not agree with many of her antics. Um, Not exactly a role model in my life. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. It's funny. I'll take the wrecking ball and I'll destroy everything that stands in my way. (laughs) There you go. There you go. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? When I feel stuck or discouraged, um, what's great about these days is there is a lot of um, technology-based support. So I have found, you know, not I should honestly probably be using it a lot more. People like, you know, Femcanic Garage, where you can listen to these podcasts and know like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person that is thinking this or going through this. Or Facebook groups where it's women, um, women in trades, where you can openly discuss things that are happening in your shop, uh, things that you may be going through individually or in a group, and basically have support around you um, and know that you, you're not alone in this. And it is actually very, very common. And even though, you know, me as a female in the trade in a city where many, 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 many people do not choose this trade, especially females, um, it's nice to be able to go online and unite with people across the entire world because it's very difficult to find like-minded women in this city. Um, I have a very, very, very tight knit, close group of people that I'm friends with. Um, and luckily they're, they're a huge support system where I can vent and I can offload stuff that's not necessarily to coworkers or people working underneath of me. And it's just a safe space to get those feelings out, to get kind of maybe a different insight on things that are happening around you and, and just that support overall. I think having that tribe in that safe space and people to trust that you can genuinely trust and that it won't show up or gossip or there is so much power in that. It's been a huge thing, you know, being in in a very public avenue of the trade of like being on a TV show where people really do want to know your insight and want to kind of dig or pick scabs at certain things. It is difficult at times to trust certain maybe online public platforms that can be taken by a PR source or, you know, spun or an interview or something that you you answer and it gets just completely taken out of context and used against you. So even if you're not actively conversating on these these public posts and stuff, as long as you know that there are many, many other people going through it. And if you have those immediate people around you, family, coworkers, you know, bosses, podcasts, groups, conversational levels that you can just kind of read through that and know you're not alone. I think that's very, very critical. For sure. Finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trade industry? Do not let anyone or anything stop you from attaining your goals and your dreams. You can be the best woman you want to be in any trade, any platform, as long as you have the drive and you have the work ethic and you have the determination to put one foot in front of the other and continue to navigate every challenge that is going to come your way, 
with respect, with dignity, and knowing what you want and what you're going to stand for and what you are not going to put up with. You need to put those boundaries down and take every step forward to attaining your goals. Beautifully said, my friend. Where and how can people connect with you? Um, so I have Instagram and Facebook. So on Instagram, R-A-T period B-R-A-T-Z is Rat Brats. And the other one is at Cheyenne Ruther Official. And on Facebook is just my name, Cheyenne Ruther. Um, and soon, yeah, I'll be repurposing. And I have my website, which is www.shootlikeagirl.ca. Um, Cheyenne, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and trusting me enough to bring your daughter on here and ask her some questions as well. I truly, truly appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And it's a great, great thing that you're doing. And I'm very happy to be a part of it. The pleasure is truly mine. My name is Cheyenne Ruther. I'm an auto body technician with Nefarious Customs in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm a femcanic. My name is Violet, and I'm seven years old, and I'm a fan cannon. As promised, here is the Femcanic Garage exclusive content. It starts with me chatting with Violet, Cheyenne's daughter. She's so darn cute. Then we dive into Cheyenne's announcement. Enjoy. Violet, how was your trip to the UK? Good. What do you like best about it there? Um, that you can get lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> we get lots of different money to use and play with. <laughs> yeah, what like about all the more money? What were you doing the other day when you were running around? We like about the country. Um, how it's so pretty. Oh yeah, I've seen pictures. It looks gorgeous. So, what do you think about you guys going clear to the UK for her job? Is that pretty cool? Yeah, when she builds weapons. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's a good lead-in for mom. All right. Well, way to break the news, Violet. <laughs> well, it's not just weapons. Slingshots. <laughs> Slingshots and ballistics and weapons and things like that. Yeah, she she went in hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to Make share? it a little more PG for our viewers. Yeah, I can yeah. definitely share with you now that the, the news has finally been um, somewhat softly released. <laughs> Obviously, I can't keep it under wraps with a seven-year-old around, so... <laughs> So she yeah. dropped the bomb. No pun intended. No pun she intended did. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she dropped the bomb. There's going to be um, a lot of explosives being played with here in uh, the UK. So it's a new TV show that I'm working on called Backyard Ballistics. And basically, it's um, a little different than what I've done on TV before, which is why I was definitely interested in coming over here and trying something totally out of my comfort zone, totally new dabble around with some hobbies and stuff as I had as a child growing up and now kind of expanding off of that. So basically without giving out too many details, yeah, it's basically in the genre of slingshots, launchers, uh, modified weapons and crossbows and things and a lot of uh, explosives at the end. So it's going to be all kinds of fun. I'm pretty excited to be here and uh, a little bit on the wild side, but we're all enjoying it. So are you in the UK for like a few months or a year or how long are you in the UK? Yeah, so I'll be here for nine weeks filming. I spent a week on my quarantine when I first got here. So we hunkered down in our little cottage of the countryside and I'm officially done week one of filming and now I'm into week two right now. So I'm just on to my third build. 
were you approached or did you seek this out? No, they actually approached me out of the blue. I was in the middle of uh, builds doing a 69 Bronco and a 79 Wagoneer at the shop. Um, as you know, I'm an auto body technician by trade. So that's the bread and butter. And um, obviously I've dabbled in entertainment and TV shows and stuff in the past. And they approached me just out of out of the blue and uh, essentially reached out and asked, hey, we have this new show and you know, we would love if you'd want to be a part of it. Are you interested in having a call with all the producers and kind of going over, you know, the gist of what we have going on? So they have a very interesting character. Um, he's from Germany. He's a kind of a viral YouTube sensation called Jorg Spray, and he owns the Slingshot channel. And he basically built all these crazy, wild slingshots and modified weapons and things that you can get away with having there is obviously you can't have guns and things like that. So that's his fun and adventurous way of exploring that option without it being illegal. Right, right. <laughs> so I've basically teamed up with him and I'm co-hosting the series and it's just me and him in this crazy workshop. Um, our backyard ballistics workshop in a countryside of England and we are building all these crazy modified things together. Um, I'm on more of the metalwork side of things, and he's more on the woodworking side of things. So all of our creative forces kind of have come together to create all these interesting and unique builds. So that's what we're working on right now. Wow. I, <laughs> yeah, a I mean, I'm, just thinking, I'm thinking of that phone call. Like, I'm guessing it's a phone call that you get this phone call. Were you just yeah. like, that's. It's kind of how show business works. Normally, Crazy. you just kind of get dropped a bomb out of the middle of nowhere, literally. <laughs> um, so I was just <laughs> hot and heavy in a restoration. <laughs> yeah, I was just, you know, you know, when you get tunnel vision on a build and I'm working on this car and I'm like, okay, D-Day is coming soon. I'm going to get this done. And we had so many builds coming through the shop. And then I get this, uh, it was actually an email first and then a phone call. And um, they kind of just briefly ran through. And obviously, we're going through all the lovely pandemic things and the logistics behind that made it quite uh, quite complicated with all the different layers that went into it, but we were able to safely have everything planned out and, you know, go through all the steps and the logistics and work with the governments to work it out and come in on a certain visa and get that all arranged and all throughout finishing these couple restorations. So I definitely had a fire lit under my booty to get everything done in time and get my guys situated at the shop before I took off um but luckily it's short term and that's why i entertained it over some of the other tv shows that have pitched me since um the last show that i did which was vegas rat rods so it was just a good opportunity that kind of came at the right time where you know everybody's been going through it lately and it was just a good chance to bundle the family up and pack them up and come over to the uk and do something totally wild and a little crazy questioning yeah. my sanity at times but you know what it's been really really fun so far that is wild. That That is so cool. And it's, it's, I mean, you're still doing your trade in the metalworking to a degree, yeah. right? But oh, yeah. very, very different. What a great I'm opportunity actually, yeah, for you guys. You know, doing, doing even more than I typically would at the shop because I've been so, you know, nestled into the niche of paint and body, which is, you know, a lot of hammering, a lot of metalwork and this and that. But this is, you know, a lot more of the fabrication, which is something that I have put on the back burner for years and years and years because I have a shop full of fabricators over on our off-road side. So, you know, I have six, seven welders at my disposal at any time of the day. Um, so now this kind of allows me to, 
get in that time behind the gun, you know, and get in a little bit more, get, get a little more hyper-focused on metalworking and things. So it's actually been a treat in that sense because I get to do it in such a fun element, you know, where of course there's pressure because we're building literally weapons and things could go wrong. <laughs> so I'm very, very dialed in and focused and making sure that everything is safe as possible to keep film crew safe and myself safe and make sure I come back home in one piece. But it's, it's been an element um, and definitely a lot of adrenaline and adventure that you know, it was nice to have after such a crazy year. Sounds like an extreme trust exercise. Oh, 100%. I, every day I'm kind of like doing a left to right, like, okay. All right. Things could go terribly, horribly wrong. But you know what? I have a great, great team working, you know, with me and along, you know, beside with the cameras and stuff. So it's, it's, it's been an experience um, nonetheless, but I have very, very qualified professionals and pyrotechnics that are on board um, when we get to the fun explosive things. So that'll make it rather interesting and I get to play with some stuff that I haven't been able to play with before yet. So I'm all about it. Way fun. Well, congratulations to you and your family and what a great, great opportunity for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, it's a little different. I'm excited for it. Cheyenne, I just wanted to thank you again for being willing to hop on here last minute like this. I totally, it was a miss on my part, and I know you're crazy busy. Um, so thank you for saving my rear end so I can stay consistent with my podcast. Oh, format. not at all. <laughs> I had thought about, you know, we had this great lengthy conversation of everything. You know, we went through so much stuff in that time and I, you know, a few things skipped my brain too. And I was like, okay, we, we didn't get that, that line we needed. And then we got kind of caught and sidetracked in so many different conversations. It was a great, great conversation. So I just wanted to pick up with you and make sure that we got everything that we needed. And then now that the press release has happened in that time um, with zigzag productions and outdoor TV and uh, inside TV, I figured I would rather put that news out there you know, with you and your podcast, because it's a great, great platform and a great opportunity and great way to share the other things that I'm doing in the trade with everyone. Absolutely. I I mean, it's the very premise of what Femcanic Garage is about. It's about one, sharing women's stories, but it's also opening people's eyes to genuinely the possibilities. And this blew the doors wide open, right? It just gets people thinking outside the box. I love it. hundred percent. I didn't expect it to, you know, land on my lap when it did in the time frame. Like I said, I was so immersed in the auto body side of things and working on cars and trucks and all the fun stuff that I've been doing for years and years. And it just kind of came into my life at a time where it's it intrigued me and I couldn't not entertain it, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we're dealing with a pandemic, we're dealing with online school. And it was just a great time to involve my daughter in that now that she's old enough to really remember this trip and appreciate it and have this time, like whether it's in quarantine or not, we're really enjoying this time together. And, you know, there we have moments where we're pulling our hair out and on kind of the night shift swing of schooling and all that, but it's, it's yeah. been definitely a bonding experience. And now I can finally include her in that where as the last show happened, she was so little still that she mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really remember any of that you know she just sees the episodes and now can actually involve her in that which is really special that is way cool well i i don't want to take up too much of your time but um definitely stay in touch i'm enjoying watching your journey on social media thank you for sharing with the folks on social media i happen to be one of them watching thank it- you so much for for following along and heating me up for this opportunity i'm glad to be a part of it and I'm looking forward to doing, you know, more with you. And as uh, the craziness settles down here, I'm, you know, maybe we're going to talk some more and get onto those other avenues that we're speaking about. But I love what you're doing. So it's been a great pleasure to be a part of it. 
Absolutely. Stay safe over there, Cheyenne. And thanks for uh, not only sharing your story, but trusting and being willing to have um, Violet on here as well. I I love hearing little people voices on it. (laughs) I know. She just lost like four of her teeth. So she's got the biggest like slur right now. It's too funny. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll put you on there. You can barely get a little tongue twisted, but we'll go for it. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, thanks. Keep hitting it out of the park. Keep being the amazing mother that you are and enjoy this. Take lots of pictures and just drink it up. Of course. Thank you so much, girl. Adrian Cruz is in the driver's seat next. She is the owner of the Breeze RV and founder of Rivet, an education-focused organization for women. She is a licensed RV technician and inspector and will be celebrating her five-year on-the-road, or should I say nomadiversary, this year. Her passion is providing a space for RV education for tradeswomen. Be sure to tune in next week as Adrian will be sharing what it's like to live on the road 100% of the time. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?